0: You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon podcast. Where you're at. Turn to somebody and tell them God knows where you're at. God knows where you're at. Amen, amen, amen. And so I believe God can take care of us, and He does. And we give God glory and honor for that tonight. Amen. God bless you. Um, well, let's go to the book of 1 John, and we're going to continue on in our series, Be Real. I believe um, that I finished, or paused, let's say, ended last time at uh, chapter 2 and verse number 3. Um, uh, does anybody have their notes that they could co- corroborate with me on that? Is that right? 2 and 3 is where I ended. Okay, I could not remember. I, I always keep excellent records, and... And I failed to do that last time, so we'll, we'll pick up back um, there then at uh, uh, chapter 2 and verse 3. We're in the book of First John, and uh, this is a great epistle, and I want God just to have His way tonight, so before we get into it, why don't we just take a moment? Let's just ask God to anoint our hearts, amen, tonight. Would you pray with me? Lord, in Jesus' name, I thank you for the opportunity to stand together in your presence, God, to be here among your body, your people, and I pray that your word would be quickened to our heart as we open up our minds. Let your truth, God, get into our spirit and into our soul. We pray tonight in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we give you glory, amen, amen, amen. So chapter number two. And let's begin just for context sake at verse number one, and we'll read through here, and then we'll pick up here at verse number three, and then we'll go forward. And we are, I believe on the slide, we're at the test of faith part. But he says in chapter two, my little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And that is a term of endearment. Dear children, he's going to use that here in a little while. He's going to use it later on, and he's not... Uh, insulting them, but he is is sharing a term of endearment. My children, children in the faith, in the gospel. He's writing as an elder at this point. He is probably the last of the apostles that uh, is living significantly maybe at this time. And so he is seen as sort of a statesman among the church. My children, I write these things unto you that you sin not. And then he says, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And Hereby, we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And he said, he that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is is not in him, but whosoever keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know that we are in him. And he that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. So in our outline here, we would put ourselves at the point, I think we're looking at, the test of faith. So um, our slide here, we are at the test of faith. So we talks about our advocate and we covered that. And then we're at the test of faith. And here, basically the test, it is a test or a measure, let's say, for our life. And that is that he said, hereby we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Now, I think we... We got to James chapter 1 and verse 22 where James said, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. And we talked about that. I think that's where we ended up maybe last time. That if you are just a hearer of the word and you never put it into practice, that you're deceiving yourself. You are uh, uh, not only uh, an imposter, but you're false advertising. You're you're claiming to be something that you are not. It's not just your appearance. It's not just how you look uh, uh, and how you, and by that I mean how you come off to others. It's what you do behind the scenes. It's what you are underneath. Health is not, a physical health is not always just something that can be measured by a visual assessment. Now, sometimes when someone's sick, you can visually notify that they're sick but their health, somebody can look fine uh, uh, on the outside, but inside they can be eaten up with all kinds of disease. And this is what John is saying. Don't just be a hearer of the word, as James said, but be a doer of the word. And it's when we do the things that God has given to us that we know that we are that we are his and we are belonging to him. I can't tell you how many times I've had uh, uh, someone who is new in Christ, a babe in Christ, say things like, wow, all of a sudden after they, they repent of their sins and they're baptized in Jesus' name and they're filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, they'll say things like, man, I don't do the things that I used to do. I catch myself not doing those things anymore. Uh, it, it, it puts a change in your life. How many know it, it changes your life? And, and uh, uh, they'll say things like, man, I, I don't even have the desires to do the things that uh, uh, I used to do anymore. Or they'll say things like this, you know, pastor, I don't cuss near as much as I used to. And, and, and I don't get on to them. I just say, that's awesome. We celebrate that. Praise God. That's great. That's the Holy Ghost working inside of you. It changes and so when you, you, you check yourself, you come home and realize, wow, I would have never acted that way before. You know, that wasn't me, but that was God working inside of me. And so this becomes the test or the measure kind of thing. Um, the, the GCFI outlets that you have by your bathroom or your, your kitchen or whatever, there's a way that you can test the outlet to see if it works. You can trip it and you can push that test button. It'll trip it and it'll cut it off. And uh, it's there so that you manually know how to test it to make sure that it's working right. This is sort of like a test button in your life, in your heart. It's sort of a test button and uh, sort of a measure of a reminder where you're at. If you're filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, amen, and, and things happen, it's sort of a test. Uh, uh, sometimes I think, I think God just lets uh, some, some demon-possessed people cut us off in the road just to test our Holy Ghost. God bless them. Just let them go. You know, just let them go. Here it is. That's, they want to they live like that, drive like that. That's okay. They probably don't have angels around their car. Thank God I've got angels around my car. And uh, so, so this is the measure. Do you keep the commandments? The, uh, uh, in him verily is the love of God perfected. But whoso keepeth his word in him is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Ultimately, you don't need somebody lording over your life telling you whether or not you've been changed. Ultimately, you don't need me as pastor to come into your house and to feel things out and to assess things to know whether or not you've been changed. You're going to know on your own. This is what John's saying. He's enabling you. Look, this is how you know whether or not you are in him. So it is the test of the test of our faith in here amen the test of our faith um in luke chapter 11 and verse 27 and i'll just reference this you don't have to put it up there i'm going to read in a couple different translations um jesus is talking and as he's talking in and uh, uh as he spake these things a woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him blessed is the woman who gave you birth and nursed you while he's talking and speaking all these wonderful things she is uh, moved as other people were, and the natural tendency of humanity is we've got to give glory to somebody. We've got to honor somebody. And so at this point is the beginning, the very first, the genesis of people elevating or deifying or honoring, extolling in some exceptional way the mother of Christ. Blessed is the woman that raised you and nursed you, whoever this is. The literal translation said um, Jesus follows after that And in the LITV, he said, no, rather blessed are those hearing the word of God and keeping it. Or he said, yea, rather blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. He responds back to her and says, as as wonderful as as you in this moment that you're seeing God eternal, manifest in the flesh, and as powerful of a thing that is, and you're looking and saying, wow, it must have been a very special person that was able to bring you into the world. Here you are speaking the things of God. It's like when you open your mouth, life just flows. Blessed blessed is Mary, and he says, oh, no. He said, but blessed are they that keep the word of God. Blessed are they that do the word of God. There is a blessing. There is an honor. There is something that comes upon every individual's life. So Jesus Christ literally says, if you look at, oh, wow, Mary must have been special. She must have been, wow, she must have highly, the Bible says she was highly favored of God. But Jesus responds and says, but you can walk in the same favor and blessing that she had. Even more so because you can live out the things of God in your life. That's a powerful thing. He was looking at ordinary people and he was telling them, no, you, you who have sinned, you who came from from obscure backgrounds, you who came from unfortunate circumstances, you who have just entered the city, who are hanging out on the sidelines, you who have no uh, uh, connections, who have no wealth, you can be just as favored and just as blessed by letting the Word of God work inside of your life and leverage your life. Can I tell you, that right there is the end all. As a pastor, that's my prayer for you. That's my goal for you. That's my prayer for myself, that I can get to a place where the Word of God is at work inside of my life. That's why, that's why when you say, hey, when the pastor's away, we can still have good church, that doesn't hurt my feel. That makes me feel like maybe... I'm doing a part of what God wants me to do. That's, that's why when you can, say, you can say, hey, pastor, I, I was in a situation, I didn't know what to do, but I walked in there, and man, I just started praying, and it was like God just gave me things to say and all of that stuff. That's awesome. That doesn't mean that uh, uh, we, we throw away the pastor or the teacher. No, that means that you've come to a place where the word of God is at work inside of your life. And when I get to that place, and when you get to that place, it gives you a confidence. Because he said, don't worry about tomorrow. It's going to take care of itself. Don't even worry about what you're going to have to say then, because the Holy Ghost in that moment is going to speak to you. And so here's, here's where John is at. Whosoever keepeth his word, in him is the love of God perfected. And he, he abideth in him, ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. What would Jesus do was the cliche. It was, it was uh, over-marketed a few years ago. Ten years ago, it was everything. It was every T-shirt. It was every, every little wrist brand. It was every bumper sticker. What would Jesus do? But can I tell you, really, in our heart, how, how would he act? How would he respond? That's where we need to be. That's where we need to go. That's where we're looking for. Turn to somebody and say, be real. This is what this is about. This is what this is about. This is not about dressing up like, a, like some religious pious person and walking around and saying, oh, look at us, we're so holy and we're so great. No, it, it's being what Christ would have been to everyone else. Be real. Be real. Be real. Be real. Be true to what God has. It's okay to have uh, um, uh, compassion. It's okay to have uh, a heart that loves people. It's okay to serve people. It's okay to go out of your way to help people. It's okay to have righteous indignation over things that are taking place that ought not take place. It's okay to call sin, sin. It's okay to love people. It's, be real. Be real. That's, that's what we need liberating in this day and age is, is people to be real and not just to put up some kind of facade and and, and and just fake it and ignore the elephants in the room and all. No, let's be real. God is God. I am not. Here's sin. We got to deal with it, but we can be redeemed, and we can be restored, and we can be renewed. And amen. Praise God. Somebody put your hands together and thank the Lord for that. Hallelujah. So, so here we are. Now we're going to go to the next. Uh, let's see. The next part is. Old commandments made new. And so he's going to talk here a little bit. We'll read through these two verses, 7 and 8. And he, he's establishing that these are old commandments, commandments that have been since the beginning. But he's also giving them in a, he's present, representing them, let's say, with a new authority, a fresh authority, if I could say it that way. Sometimes we say, oh, that's an old rule, it's an old thing, we're more focused on this. And he's saying, no, this is something that you cannot neglect. So yes, it's old, yes, it's been around forever, it's an old commandment, but it's also a new commandment. I'm giving it to you in new force, in a fresh way. So let's look at what this is. He says, brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye have heard, which ye had, rather, from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment. I write unto you which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. And so he's saying, when I come to you and say that you've got to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer only, this is not something that is new. This is something that God has been trying to get at for millennia, for generations, for generations. But now I'm bringing it back to you with new force. And he's saying, I'm I'm giving you a measure. Your measure is not what tribe you were born in. Your measure is not who your dad was. Your measure is whether or not you are keeping the commandments of God. Your measure is not the proximity of, of, of where your resident lies in relation to the tabernacle. Your residence is how much of the tabernacle is at work in your life behind closed doors. That's what he's saying. That's what he's putting in force. And so he says, now you've got to be a doer of the word, but then he's going to give us another thing now. And he's going to go on in verse nine through 11. And I've called this the disfellowship of hatred versus the fellowship of love. Because he's making a contrast here. He's juxtaposing two different uh, uh, things. And he says in verse nine, he that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. That's a strong statement. That's a pretty strong statement. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. Now, this is not an isolated uh, context here. John is dealing with some, there were some harsh realities that are going on. The church has exploded, many different cultures, many different things you had the, uh, the, the Judaizers, you had the Gentile Christians, you had all of these different things and all this stuff going on. Uh, uh, opportunity for conflict and misunderstanding abounded in the early church. And so John is addressing the issue right there. So, just uh, uh, as much or even more so, let's say, than today, opportunity abounded for them to have issues and conflict within the church, within the fellowship, and uh, contentions. Paul has dealt with this at length in his epistles and other things. And so John is just cutting down to it and saying, if you are saying you are in the light, but yet still in practice, in your heart, you were holding on to hatred, he said you are in darkness even until now. Verse 10, he that loveth his brother abideth in the light, And there is none occasion of stumbling in him. Now, one thing in life, you don't get to choose who your siblings are. Praise God. For better or for worse, there they are. That's it. That's your lot in life. The same is true in the church. And we cannot forget that. And that's one of the greatest blessings of the church. Because if we were picking, we'd pick people just like us. Or we'd pick people, right, after our own preferences, our own desires, our own things. But the blood of Jesus Christ reaches, amen, across the world. And God brings things. I, I, I can testify this, that some of the greatest assets and blessings in my life in the body of Christ have come from the most unlikely of places. People that I thought, when I first saw them or met them, wow, they are weird. And then you get to know them, and wow, I, I've never seen such compassion, or I've never seen such selflessness, or I've never seen such uh, uh, insight and in revelation. I, I, I've never, wow, they have a ability to walk in the Spirit because of their certain dynamics that makes them a little bit awkward to me makes them incredibly useful in certain ministries and mission fields and places and scenarios. And and the more you're in the body of Christ, the more I thank God every time I see somebody or meet somebody that's different than me that has strengths that I don't have because that's what helps, that's powerful. And so here John is saying, if you love your brother, that brother that you didn't get to choose, If you love your brother, you abide in light, and there is, look at what he says, none occasion of stumbling in him. Now, I'll just pause here because this is in my notes, but but we could probably say that being a part of the body of Christ comes down to, is is reduced down to relationships. It's reduced down to relationships. It's number one, my relationship with God, and then everything else is my relationship with other people that you could bring it all down to relationship. My success or failure in the kingdom of God is going to be largely surrounding and evolving my success in those relationships. And so Paul is not, or, or, or John here is not saying that we excuse things or that, but he's just saying that you love your brother. When you love your brother, this is how powerful it is, John said. When you love your brother, doesn't mean you have to agree with him. Doesn't mean you have to like everything. Doesn't mean that you have to always you can be different, whatever. That that's fine. But when you love your brother, it removes within you the opportunity of stumbling. When you get hung up then on the flip side, when you get hung up on your brother or your sister, when you get hung up, that brings opportunity for stumbling and failure. This is a reality. We look at many people who are, uh, we use the term backslidden. The Bible talks about people who have fallen away, who have slid away, who are backslidden. Many times when people backslide, the backsliding happens at the occasion of a, a, a failure in relationship, or not relationship or a hurt. And sometimes it can be, a justification for sin. They want to. They want to live life in a certain way, and so they're looking for opportunity, and the opportunity becomes a a failure in a relationship. But I I, I cringe sometimes, and or, or not cringe is not the right word, but I I I am heartbroken sometimes because the reality is is that there are many backsliders in our world, in our communities, no doubt, even here many backsliders who feel still the tug of the Lord drawing them back. But what lays as a barrier, as a wall for them to get back is those old wounds from relationships of times gone by. And that's why I've said this before. We've got to be a place where healing can take place. We've got to be a place because, because we've all been hurt. We've all been a, a, afflicted, a, a, abused. You, whatever word you want to say. We've all had that. If you've lived in the church any time, we're not in the church because we've never had relationship trouble. We're in the church because Jesus Christ has been our healer and he's helped us through those things. That's the only reason why I'm still here. doesn't mean I don't have any problems or haven't had any issues. Yes, that's okay. And it's okay for us to, uh, uh, to vocalize that, to acknowledge that. But there are so many people who would come back. But the devil's a liar. And that's why I say we have to be a place that is welcoming, a place that is healing, because I want people to know, hey, look, let's let bygones be bygones. It is what it is. Let's just get back to the cross, and let's not worry about everything else, and let's let Jesus' blood cleanse and heal and strengthen and go forward. Amen, 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 amen. And so, and I say that to the backslider, don't let no one else is worth you missing out on eternity. No one else is worth you missing out on what God's will is and God's purpose is. As we grow as a church, as revival takes place as, as we are now, there will be people in the church who will who, who will have the personality that just pushes your buttons. That's why we have four sections. No, I'm joking. That's not, that's not, that's not what I was saying. That's not what I was saying. That's not what I'm saying. It's okay. To know, hey, brother so-and-so is this way or sister so-and-so is that way or that what, whatever and that's fine. And they're just, yeah, you know, I don't really take too much of that. That's what it ever is. But, but that's not what he's saying that you have to agree. He's just saying, but you've got to love them. Right. Right. As much as they may drive me nuts, I still want to see them on a pew worshiping God. I still want to see them on an altar giving, giving God Giving God their all, giving God, when, when they're down, I still want them to run to Christ. I still want them to know, hey, I, I'd rather, I don't want to see anybody out there in a prison. I don't want to see anybody pulling up to, to, to a bar to drown their sorrows apart from God. No. So, so let's let that lie. And when you can get there, John says you can re- remove an occasion for stumbling. Wow, wow. So my biggest occasions for stumbling in my life, are going to be relationships. Make note of that. Make note of that. If you're, if you're taking notes, that's a good thing to write down, that my biggest occasion of stumbling is going to be relationships. It's not always going to be people say, well, you know, I don't, I don't have a, um, a pornography problem. I don't have a drug problem. I don't have an alcohol problem. I don't have, and you go through all these things, you think, look, look I'm good, but can I tell you, sometimes those little things right there can be the thing that can cause you to go sideways. I've seen people change their doctrines to justify themselves. I've seen people walk away from the Word of God and make little edits in their life that God never authorized, that God never approved of because there was an occasion of stumbling there. The disfellowship of hatred. Hatred will destroy your life. It will destroy your life. Don't let hatred. Hatred, it's not worth it. It's not worth it holding on to those hatreds, holding on to those bitterness, holding on to that stuff, just let it go. You know, God is just. God is just. If someone's truly done, your, done you wrong, everyone will repay if they don't come to a place where Christ becomes their atonement. And if they can get to that place, praise God, and I'm okay, I'll, I'll willingly forgive them because Christ forgave me. How can I hold on to, to something that, that amen, had I not had an escape, I would be in the same place. But hatred will destroy, and not only will hatred destroy, but hatred will blind you. Look at what he says. He said, um, but he that hateth his brother, in verse 11, is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whether he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. Wow. Wow. That's the disfellowship of hatred. So this thing John's talking about, this fellowship of God and all these wonderful things, hatred blinds you. It robs you of what God has made available to you. Hate robs you of what God has made available to you. It robs you of those things that happen in your life. Hatred. So so we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but it's interesting that John puts this in there. And you got to check your heart. i got to check my heart. You got to check your spirit. You got to check your mind. You got to check everything. Say, do I really love people? Do I really love, um, how can I love the sinner if I can't love the the imperfect saint? Truly. God's still working on them. I, I get that. God's still working on you. I get that. God's still working on me. I hope you get that. And so hatred is destructive. It destroys. If you, uh, be careful. Let me, just, let me just admonish you as pastor here. Be careful when you use the word hate. Be careful. Be careful when you catch yourself saying, I hate them. To the parent, to the grandparent, to the aunt and the uncle. Be careful. Your children will hear that. They will pick up that. Don't use that terminology. Jesus said, you, you don't even look at somebody and say, thou fool, as if they are the lowest without redemption. Don't even call somebody, don't put somebody, now people act foolishly. The Bible talks about that. You can identify and acknowledge that, and Christ did, and John the Baptist, and the prophets did. But don't ever put somebody verbally in the position that they are beyond the redemption, and the mercy, and the grace of God. So be careful when you just callously throw that word out. Oh, I, 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 And sometimes we do it without even thinking. Just check Am I using that word? Where is that? Am I laying seeds in my in the soil of my heart that lets me hate somebody that could lead to that? Um, so, because I, I, I don't want to be that way, and because if I am that way, I'm blind. I won't even know where I'm going. And can I tell you a lot of people walk away from God and they don't even see it themselves. How many, how many times? And I, and I speak. Openly, you can use your own example, but how many times have you seen someone make steps away from the Lord, and you see it, everybody else in the room sees it, but they didn't see it, and they self-justify because of whatever else, occasion of stumbling, darkness, whatever that is that goes on, and you see that. God, don't let me be that person. Self-awareness is the most powerful thing. The Bible talks about that constantly. And so these are practical things that John has given to us. And these are good things for us to look at, to write down, to uh, uh, address. So we'll go on. Amen. Uh, uh, let's go to the next portion. And I'm, I'm aware of the time. Chapter 2, 13 and 14. Now this is, this is uh, 12, 13 and 14. John makes some personal remarks right here. And he interjects some stuff. So this is interesting. We call it John's personal words to the readers. He interjects something here, and it's almost like he pauses uh, uh, or because he doesn't want to be misunderstood. Now he has said some rather hard things, and he's come out. We haven't even, you know, gotten very far into the letter, and he's come out and he said things like: if you hate your brother, you're splitting hell wide open. That's basically what he said. You know, I mean, that's a that's a hard thing. And so but he's writing to people and he wants to be careful that they don't misunderstand. I was, I was doing some study today and I want to read you a paragraph from uh, Boyce's commentary because I thought that he helped us uh, with this. He said, most persons, well, well, first of all, let's go to chapter 2 so we know what we're talking about, 12, 13, and 14. And we'll read chapter 2, verse 12. He said, I write unto you little children. Here it is again. He's calling little children or dear children because your sins are forgiven you for His namesake. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known Him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. Verse 14, I have written unto you, fathers, because you have known Him that is from the beginning. And I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong And the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. He starts off with, I write unto you, little children. And when he uses that terminology, he's going to highlight different levels of spiritual maturity here. And and this gives us license, and we see this other places where Paul did it. He said, you know, uh, you're still drinking the milk, uh, uh, and then you go on to the meatier things of the kingdom of God. John does the same thing in making a, uh, uh, denoting a difference in spiritual maturity, and he does so by referring to them as either young men or as fathers at their level of spiritual maturity. When he uses the term little children, some people say, well, that's the entry level, and it could be, and others say, well, he was corporately, collectively calling them all his children as a term of endearment. And then from there, he went on and separated. But he's making these distinctions here as he's addressing things. But it seems like it's a little bit out of place, but he puts this right in the middle. Here's what Boyce said. He said, Most persons have had the experience of making a remark that was intended for one individual and having an entirely different individual take it personally. It may even have been that the one who applied the remark to himself was the one who least needed it. Still, he applied it to himself because he was sensitive and because he really wanted to learn from what was going on around him. An experience like this is so common that we can easily imagine what was in John's mind as he begins to write the next section of this letter. He had just said something intended for certain individuals, and he was afraid that the Christians for whom he had not intended it might take it wrongly. And so John pauses and he's, he's addressing and he's acknowledging some things. He's writing to them and he's saying, If you don't love your brother, you're not in darkness. Or you're not in light, you're in darkness. If you don't love your brother, you're not saved. You're not walking. If you're not listening to the Word of God, if you're not, if you're not letting the Word of God work in your life, you're, you're gone. You're lost. You need saving and redemption. And to make sure that they were not taking it wrong, he pauses and he identifies some things. This is a good note uh, uh, of a good pastor. This is a good characteristic of a good pastor. And the Bible gives us this example that we can see as a good pastor. Um, As a pastor, you don't get up, and he makes a hard, direct truth that When it's applied right, it is life-saving. But to be careful that people don't misunderstand it, he takes and he qualifies it. This is so essential. This is so critical. And he's giving a directive. Sometimes you need to be plain. You need to cut to the chase. You need to be right there. But he did not want them to hear that and to read that and to walk away with a misunderstanding. Now, John is writing a letter This letter's written near the end of his life, somewhere in the 80s, A.D. At the end, a lot of martyrs have already taken place, persecution, Jerusalem has been destroyed, and he's writing here a letter. Now we know better than anybody else that text can be misunderstood, right? You ever sent a text and you meant one thing, but it comes across, especially if you try to put sarcastic, you know what I'm talking about? Or you put little things in there, people misunderstand kind of thing and thought, oh, I thought you were mad. Because the receiver is reading it a certain way and they may be reading it what they think you or whatever. So there's a lot of times I will text, but often a lot of things, even within personal relationships and family, I'll pick up the phone and call to make sure because it's lost. You know, when you have body language, there's so many uh, uh, um, uh Intangibles of communication, body language, voice, vocal influx, all of those kind of things. And so John is writing this, and he did not want them to read this and close it up and say, Oh my goodness, I'm lost. I might as well throw in the, twi- the towel. I might as well quit. I might as well, whatever. He says, No, he said, I write unto you, and I'm telling you, Look, you have a measure of faith. This is awesome. My little children. He said, I'm not writing you telling you're the worst people ever. You're lost. He said, no, the reason why I'm writing this truth is because God has done a work in your life. God has done a work in your life. Let's acknowledge that, my little children. He said, your sins are forgiven for his namesake. You have been redeemed. You have been forgiven. You have been cleansed. I'm writing about that. And then he goes on and he says, I write unto you fathers because you have known him. That is from the beginning. You have known the one. We're talking about the almighty God. The God that predates time. The God that was before the beginning. You've known him. You've got that mature revelation. You have seen him. You've known that. That's why I'm able to write these things to you. And I'm able to handle the. So he is validating their experience. He is acknowledging, not not only validating, but affirming their testimony of faith, where they're at. I write unto you, young men, he says, uh, because you have overcome the wicked one. You've overcome. That's why I can speak so forceful and so strong, because you've overcome. And that's why I can say, when you hate your brother, (laughs) you're in darkness. You don't know God. You don't love God. You you know that. I'm not not condemning you. I'm not throwing you out. I am making sure that you understand this truth. He's making the contrast here. And so this is done in a loving manner. It's It's a great paradigm. It's a great example for us in the church of how leadership. First of all, it's a good example for us as pastors to be able to know how to deal with things. But it's a good thing for us as a church also to understand and give latitude and know, hey, sometimes there needs to be a prophet or a pastor that can speak it plain. It's okay to call sin, sin. And to to name it, it's okay for someone to come and say, if you don't love your brother, you got the devil in you. (laughs) We don't get all offended and say, well, well, you, you you don't know. No, John is letting us know this is okay. And if you're applying that to your own heart and you're walking away and say, man, I got some work to do, well, then God bless you. That's for your benefit. That's for your... But if you're walking out and saying, hey, I'm thankful that God saved me from that. He's changed me. I'm not like that. Now, you catch me before Christ. That's who I was, but God saved me from that. And so he gives to us here this this care of a pastor. He also, though, in doing that, he sort of classifies the family of God into different groups, like I said. Either three groups, whether it's the little children, the young men, and the fathers, or whether it's the children collectively and then the fathers and the young men, that there's different stages of spiritual maturity. And if that's the case, amen, uh, we understand that there are, we don't, we don't tear out the kingdom of God. You don't get a, a merit badge. You don't, you don't upgrade your you know, uh, uh, whatever. Well, bless God you've been in here and you get this and all that. But we do understand that there is spiritual maturity and that ought to not only motivate us to continue to grow, but it also would give us some help and understanding in dealing with relationships. Right? Because I'm not going to expect the same measure out of my son that I'm going to expect out of him when he's older in 10 years. And so that's okay. So now, you know, there's, 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 still, there's still messes. I'm trying, I'm trying not to talk, you know, so, so that you can catch on. But there's still messes and there's still things that happen that I, we got to do a whole lot of clean. There's a lot of dirty parts. Let's, lay, let's say there's a lot of dirty parts to the aspect of it. There's a lot of fun. There's a lot of joys in that. But there's going to come a day where, praise God, he's going to clean up his own mess. So we're putting that in the church. When you get babies in the church, babies in the Lord, it might be messy for a season. Is that all right? But, but then there comes a place of spiritual maturity where they still mess, but they clean it up themselves. Praise God. Am I in the book? I, am I, in, I I'm, not, I'm not. But do you understand what I'm saying? And so it gives us a little bit of latitude. little bit of latitude and I'm in that process of maturity as well as you are and praise God thank God that he is letting us grow in faith and grace and knowledge of the word of God I'm so thankful for that and so we see here the little children um uh here the Greek word is paideia paideia and that's referring to babes in Christ, that Greek word there, babes in Christ, little children, my children. This is, these are the converts, let's say, of John. These are the people that are under his ministry as an elder as he goes on. He's able to pass something on to the next generation. So in the church, there's elders. We, we would use the term elder, and sometimes that denotes spiritual uh, uh, authority, but it, it also is denoting spiritual maturity. But there are places, just like in life, Um, a 2-year-old, a 12-year-old, a a uh, 22-year-old, even though they can be good and, and healthy and well and the best person ever, they still have not experienced and gone through what the 62, 72, 82, 92 have gone through because some things just have to be lived out. And there's different battles that... I haven't fought yet until, and I won't fight for another 10, 20 years just because of life and wrestling with all those things and going through all that. And and there is something that an elder can dispatch or encourage or transfer and share. And this is what John is saying, little children. I'm going to tell you, in the church, in the world, the world dispenses with that which is old. In, in, in Western culture, it's interesting because in Western culture, uh, we, we are the worst in the world at taking care of the elderly. And in our families and in our homes, just in practice, statistically, we, we, we dispense with those. We dispense with that. That's, that's the nature of our society. If you just go to uh, pick up any magazine, when was the last time that you saw uh, um, el- elder people fashioning different things or, or being the model for how tools work? It's always youth, 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 youth. And and it dispenses with that. But in the church, in Christianity, in the word of God, it was never something to be dispensed with or disposed of, but it was something to be honored and, and, and reverenced, even to the point that the Bible talks about honoring those with white hair. That that is not a token to be ashamed of in the world. you, you got to dye that. you got to cover that up. you got to get rid of that. And the Bible says, no, you honor that because it's showing. Amen. You know how many testimonies. You know how many battles. You know how many valleys. You know how many things they've come through. Your white hair is a testimony. Some, some of you know hair is a testimony. And, and so we, we, we look at that differently. We ought to look at that differently in the church. We have respect and reverence. Wow, wow, wow. Because God is faithful. God never leaves you. And God, God promotes you and he moves you forward and he goes on. And so John gives that to us right here. Fathers, young men, little children. Stand together with me tonight. I'm thankful that God loves us. I'm thankful that God loves us. I'm thankful God loves you. And I'm thankful that God sends people in our life to admonish us, to encourage us along the way. And sometimes to correct us or sometimes to draw, uh, uh, to bring to attention something in our own life. I need that. And you need that in your life. You need that in your life. And I thank God for his word. When he does it, he does it because he loves us. And I thank God for that. Don't you love the word of God tonight? Can we just thank the Lord? Can we just take a moment and thank God for his word? God, I thank you tonight for your truth. And I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for your strength. I thank you for how, God, you can speak to me. I thank you that you love me enough. God, speak to my life to correct me, not to leave me where I'm at, but to strengthen me, to challenge me, Lord. To move me forward, God, I pray, Lord, that you would continue to endeavor to bring your kingdom into our life, to mold and to shape us, fashion us, God, that we can be pleasing in your sight, every word, every thought. God, let the words of our mouth and the meditations, even the meditations, the things we think, God, let them be acceptable in your sight. Lord, we give you glory and honor tonight. We love you, Lord. Come on, somebody, just rejoice in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah, Lord. I thank you, God. I thank you, Lord, for loving me. God, I thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Old song says, I want to live the way he wants me to live. I want to give until there's just no more to give. I want to love, love till there's just no more love. I could never, ever out love the Lord. Amen, amen, amen. I want to live in the way He wants me. Amen. And I want to love in the way He wants me. Amen. That means i got to love Him and i got to love others. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being in church tonight. Amen. Let's come this weekend expecting great things.